Thanks. Yes, thank you. Uh, Chris is on our pastor's council, and the pastor's council asked they could share that, and it's an honor and a privilege to be pastor here, and uh, I can't imagine anything else in life I'd rather do than to be here and look at you guys each week, and, and um, do not tape a p- picture of me on your mirror in your bathroom, please, <laughs> please don't, please do not, uh, just think about me, that's fine, but don't, uh, you don't have to look at me first thing in the morning, trust me, I don't. I don't want to look at you first thing in the morning, so that's, uh, <laughs> but we do appreciate your prayers, and if, if there's Thanksgiving uh, for pastors, there's definitely Thanksgiving for people, and so thank you guys for being the best church in the whole world, and it is an honor and a privilege when I go to conferences or meet with other pastors to tell people about you guys, because you're the best, you're the absolute best. We're in a series called One Month to Live as a church. We have small groups, we have home groups, we have Wednesday night groups, Sunday school, out west. We've got groups everywhere thinking about what if we had one month to live? And it's challenged me. I've got to be honest with you. It's challenged Leslie. We began to think about if we had one month to live, what would we do with our children? What would we do with each other? And all of a sudden, family and friends we were going to go to visit, and we'll say, well, we'll do that someday, next time. All of a sudden, we're, we're starting to do things that if, you know, we ask ourselves, if, if we had one month to live, would we do that? And we say, absolutely, then we've got to do it. We've got to do it. We've got to live with that kind of priority in our life. And, and so it's affecting our personal lives, but it's also affecting our relationship with God in a deep way. Because if you think about it, think about this with me. If you had one month to live, you'd want to get as close to Jesus as you could, right? If you had one month to live, you'd want to get as close to Christ as you could. I had to do a funeral last uh, Saturday. And it was a 73-year-old man that lived a great life, had a brain hemorrhage and passed away. And, and uh, they didn't have a pastor, and so they called. And I shared a little bit about that last week, but um, had to go up there. 73 years old, lived a full life, good guy, did so many great things. But you could just tell in talking to that family that he didn't have enough time. He just, it, it wasn't enough time he needed. He needed more time. The Bible tells us that our life is like a breath. You may think 73 years, well, that's plenty of time. That's, that's a long life. Some of you may think that's a short life. But you know what? It's all short. It's all short. And what would we do if we had one month to live? We've got to get those kind of priorities in our life. And I thought about that this week, and I thought about Paul, who's in prison, and he has to stand before Nero, and he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He tells us that in the first chapter, and then he writes this in the third chapter of the book of Philippians. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Wow, here's a guy that gets it. He says, you know what? Everything I thought was valuable, garbage. I just want Christ. I just want to know him. And so as I was thinking about how do we preach on the weekends when we're doing this study throughout the week, how do we preach on this? I want to go back to what Jesus taught. And one-third of everything Jesus taught, you see the words in red in your Bible, one-third of all those are the parables that he tells us while he's teaching, the stories of Jesus. And so we want to say, what is Jesus trying to tell me so that I can apply it to my life? And I want to start a series while we're doing this one month to live on the parables of Jesus and see what is Jesus trying to teach us? through the stories of Scripture, because one-third of everything he said was a story. So 
what are these stories? Well, if you went to Sunday school, you know the definition of a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's a good, that's a good definition. But a lot of times we think of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, which is actually the exact same thing in scripture. It's just translated different and uh, different gospel writers use different things. But the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing. A lot of times we think of heaven and some of the parables are about heaven and, and going to heaven. And we saw a beautiful picture of that this week, didn't we, when the Chilean coal miners were rescued? And they came up out of the ground, and there were people cheering for them, and reunions, and even the president of the country was there to shake their hand and hug them. I mean, kind of like God up there when we get there. Just like, what a beautiful picture that was of heaven. And heaven's going to be awesome. Heaven's going to be amazing. But what about right now? Do these stories mean anything for my life right now? And I would say yes, because the kingdom of God is both now and future. Obviously, heaven in the future, but it's right now. And, and that's what the Christian life, that's the paradox of the Christian life. It's the, it's the now and not yet. It's both together. And so I want us to grab hold of what is Jesus talking to us about right now? What does he want to tell us through these stories, through these lessons, through these, what kind of moral values is he trying to get across to us? And and so what is a parable? Uh, to define parable is actually just to define that word in the Greek. And the word parable means a comparison. A comparison. So Jesus is making a comparison of the kingdom of God and how it applies to us. And the kingdom of God is something difficult to understand. It was difficult to understand back then, so he had to tell stories and explain stories. And so we have those stories today because it's still difficult to understand what he means by the kingdom of God. And so we want to see what does he teach us? What is he communicating to us? And look for the main teaching of this kingdom. Because when Jesus came, he said, I have a new kingdom. There's an old covenant, but I'm establishing a new kingdom. And the kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, the kingdom of God is within you. And we have to look at that for a moment. And we have to realize that the kingdom of God is not a place. A lot of times we think of a certain place or a certain country or a kingdom that a king would rule over, and, and, and we think of a political party or something like that, and, and, and Christ says, no, I'm the king of my kingdom, and it, it's, there's no place, it's just my power. There's no realm, it's just my rule here on this earth. It's what Jesus said, it's mine, and I want to establish it here on this earth. It's something different than anything you've ever seen, and it belongs only to me. It's not a democracy. He is the king of his kingdom, and we follow him. We proclaim the kingdom. We don't build the kingdom. We don't expand the kingdom. He does that. We just announce the kingdom, as he told us, and we enter the kingdom through discipleship. And we spread Christ's dominion on this earth by living out the kingdom. When you think about Jesus, he never ran for political office. He never tried to overthrow the Roman government. You know what he did? It tells us wherever Jesus walked, hell crumbled underneath his feet. I love it. That wherever he went, he met a blind person, he healed that blind person. He's basically saying, you weren't meant to be blind. He would raise the dead and talk about that if, if you lived in him, you, you'd never die, speaking of heaven. When he, he'd go, he'd teach, and, and, and he'd spend time with people. He'd go over to a house of somebody that was lonely, and he'd spend time with that person. Wherever he went, hell crumbled wherever he went. And, and, and he says, you know what? That's how you build my kingdom. My kingdom, my influence, my rule is spread as you walk and you live his way in this world. And so he says, enter my kingdom through discipleship. And discipleship is all-encompassing. It's the whole law of God. We, we go in and we don't get to pick and choose what we're going to believe of Jesus. 
We don't go in and pick and choose, oh, I'm going to do this that he said, but I'm not going to do that. It's the whole thing. Discipleship is a wholehearted following of Jesus Christ, not picking and choosing what you like, because that would be reprehensible to the Jewish mind. When they were thinking of following the law of God, you don't just choose this commandment or that commandment. You follow all the commandments. And not just all the commandments. You follow the whole law of God, everything in the law and the prophets. You do what it tells you to do. You don't get to pick and choose which parts you like and which parts you don't. And that's why they were so concerned if they ever broke even the smallest law because they wanted to follow everything. Jesus says, if you want to follow my example, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to enter the kingdom, it's a wholehearted commitment. I want to begin in Matthew 13, which has a lot of parables, but this will be our parable to kick us off to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven is. In Matthew 13, 44 through 46 are two short parables that I'll read that you know quite well, but let's really take a look at them as adults today, not as children in Sunday school. And ask ourselves some hard questions when we read them. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it and again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered the pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. We've got to look at these stories because it might sound strange in, in our ears, this idea of discovering buried treasure. And that's what they did. They didn't have banks in ancient cultures or safety deposit boxes. And there would be enemies that would come in and, and, and just and, and ransack villages and people would come in and steal things out of houses. And so they had to bury their treasure. That's the only thing they could do to keep it safe. And uh, we'll read a story in Matthew 25, another parable that will come in a few weeks where we see that there was a servant that had something valuable from his master, and he hid it and kept it safe, and yet he was chastised for that. But that's how they would hide things. That's how they would keep things safe. It was for protection. And, and, and this guy, you know, you can say, well, isn't he being dishonest here? If he knows it's there to sell everything and go buy that land, isn't he dishonest? No, the reality is he's quite honest, because in rabbinic law, if you bought a piece of property and there was something valuable on that property, it belonged to you. That's just part of the rabbi rules back then. And if this guy was really dishonest, what he would have done is when he found the treasure, he just would have taken it. Okay? I mean, think about it. If, if he was really dishonest, he would just would have taken it then. But instead, and you have to understand the economics of the Jewish culture, and we'll get into the economics because you're going to notice something about all the parables. All the parables have to do with money or economics in some way. And, and, and to buy land in, in the Jewish culture, land is still so important to this day. It's a very difficult thing to do. And this guy jumps through all the hoops. He does everything he has to do. He sells everything he has to buy that piece of property. This guy did it the right way. And if you're going to follow God, you don't get to just kind of sneak in on, on a technicality. You've got to follow him the whole way. And so this guy follows every law. If he was dishonest, he just would have taken it in the first place. But no, he follows God's law and he gets this great treasure, and he's happy about it. How about the story of the pearl? The Jewish Talmud says that pearls are beyond price. It's the most valuable gem in ancient, color, in ancient cultures, and that is the, the pearl. It's the ultimate investment for kings and for emperors to have pearls, and Egyptians actually worshipped pearls because of their value. And in our culture today, pearls are, are still very valuable, but not quite so much because now we have the equipment to go dive down about 40 feet and get them and, and harvest them from the oysters. But back then they had no diving equipment. So you know how they would get oysters? 
they would literally, the, the divers would tie a rope around their waist into a very heavy rock, and they would just, they would go and they throw it in, and that was the only way they could sink down far enough to get the oyster, to get the pearl out of the oyster. And, and when they got to the oysters, maybe one in a thousand oysters had a pearl. And that's why they're so valuable in ancient cultures. Jesus uses this metaphor in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, do not cast your pearls before swine. The thing that is so valuable to you, this kingdom living, this discipleship, it's so valuable. You just don't just, you just, don't just toss it out there for everybody. This is important. Or, or, or when we get to heaven, it tells us that, that we got, we're going up toward pearly gates. You know what that's telling us? It's telling us you don't even understand the value of where you're headed. I mean, so that's what this story is about. So what does this teach us about the kingdom of God? What do we learn today? These are just a few things I wrote down. They're not on the screen, so you just have to write them down if the Holy Spirit speaks to you. But as a grown-up adult, not a kid in Sunday school, what is it to me today? It means that the kingdom is a treasure. It's extremely valuable. I also read in the story that these guys do it with excitement, so the kingdom of God is exciting. It's the key discovery of life. I also learn as I dive into these stories that the kingdom of God is hidden. It's not out there for everyone to see. It's something that has to be found. It's a, to be a priority in our life. And to be quite honest with you, the kingdom will cost you everything you got. And so as I think about this, I begin to think about the, the kingdom and I, I have to ask myself, is it what I'm really looking for? Because the Bible teaches us with this abundant life idea that if I have God, I have everything. And so if I have this treasure as these guys had, they had everything they needed. They were complete. They were satisfied. Am I complete and satisfied with my discipleship? Am I, am I, am I so full of God that I, I just feel like, yeah, I've got it all and I'm complete now that I have it? Do I really even understand what that means to be complete in the kingdom of God. And I think about Paul, who we read at the beginning. He got it, didn't he? Everything else I thought was valuable is pure garbage in my life. All I want to know is Christ. And, and Paul lived his life for the kingdom of God. And we see that satisfaction as he goes on in verse 10 of chapter 3 of Philippians. I just want to know Christ. I'm complete in that. And, and so the question is, are we complete in the Lord? Here's the statement of my sermon, if it just had to be boiled down to one statement, it's this. The mystery of the kingdom, it's on the screen behind me, the mystery of the kingdom is that its value far exceeds anything else. So everything needs to be forfeited to acquire it. Wow, let me read that again. The mystery of the kingdom is that its value far exceeds anything else. So everything needs to be forfeited to acquire it. There's a greater joy in the kingdom of God than anything temporary in this world. We, we, we strive for so many things in this world and, and there's nothing greater than the kingdom of God and there was an excitement and a joy in these people's lives. They sacrificed everything. They gave up everything and they had joy and excitement. And remember what a parable means? It means a comparison. And he's saying, compare this story with your life. Is that how you really feel about the Lord? about what He's calling you to do? Do you really feel that way about His kingdom? 
And this story challenges me to the core, and then I have to ask myself, how can I be so ho-hum about my faith sometimes if this is the greatest treasure in the world? I want you to really think about how can we be so, oh, I guess i got to go to church today. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, pastor doesn't preach too long. Oh, you know. How, honestly, how can we be so ho-hum about our faith when it is the most precious thing we have in our life? And maybe you're not ho-hum on Sunday morning because, hey, man, this is good. I mean, what, the power of God, the worship, the prayer, this is good stuff. But Monday morning, how can we be so ho-hum about our faith all week long if we're truly disciples? And so it's challenged me to ask some tough questions. And these are, these are questions I challenge myself with. I'm going to just take a few. I, I started writing questions on, on one of my devotional times. Three pages of questions came up after reading this, these short parables. And, and I'm going to give you just a few of them here. Again, they're not on the screen. These are just my thoughts, questions from my journal. And I had to ask myself these questions. And if anything resonates with you, write them down so that you can ask yourself these questions as well. What is valuable to me? What are my priorities? Do I understand what Jesus is asking me to do here? Do I even understand the value of Christ and his kingdom? Am I intently searching for the kingdom of God? Is the kingdom all I want? Am I willing to give up everything for the kingdom? What is my faith costing me? What does selling all look like for me? And I ask myself this question, is this one of the teachings of Jesus that made some walk away or even want to kill him? See, Jesus was a great teacher, but a lot of people didn't like what he was saying. And so the average person just walked away, but if somebody was really threatened, they wanted to nail him to a cross. He was nailed to a cross because of what he taught and what he brought to this earth. And, and, and is this one of the statements that was so hard to understand? Did they just say, I'm walking away? Or even worse, we just need to get rid of this guy. Another question, do I really desire Christ and his kingdom? Another question, do I really want to know God's will for my life? Because sometimes we just want to do what we want to do and then fit God in in, in in the open spaces. Do I really want to know what God wants me to do with my life? And here's the tough one, do I really love Christ? Or do I love this world? We have to ask ourselves these questions when we read parables, these comparisons, that Jesus gives us. And we have to ask ourselves these hard questions. Do I really understand what Jesus is telling me to do here? Am I really willing to give it all up? Or do I just like doing what I like to do? And I'll fit God in when I fit Him in. It says in Galatians chapter 5, if you continue on in that, in, in, in that, uh, that book there, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. If you just want to do what you want to do, it's very clear. Then he lists some sins here. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful desires, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and sins like these. So that's just part of the sins. And you might see yourself in there. Well, I'm not in the bad, bad ones like 
sorcery, but I, you know, I quarrel or I'm angry or, you know, we just find ourselves in there and, and says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's very clear. You will not inherit the kingdom. You live this way. You live however you want. You don't get into the kingdom of God. Now, is this, do I not get into heaven? What does that mean? We'll talk about that actually in another parable. But in this parable, I think he's saying, or in this, it's like, you don't get to be a part of Christ and his kingdom and what he's doing on this earth, ruling and reign. You don't get to be a part. If you're just going to do whatever you want to do, you don't get to be a disciple. You're not, you're just doing whatever you want to do. So you can't call yourself a disciple saying, God, I want to live life your way. Who inherits the kingdom of God? It's people that we find in, in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 as he begins the Sermon on the Mount, that, that ultimate discipleship teaching that I talked about a few weeks back. He, he says this in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that just, they, they're just, they're in tune with God. That's all they want. They're poor in spirit. They just want God. That's all they want. And in verse 8 it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I don't want to just do whatever I want. I want to be pure in my heart. I want to, I want, I want to be poor in my spirit. I want only God. God, I just, I just want you and your will and your way. And this is one of those all or nothing teachings of Jesus. And, 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 and as much as we love grace and, and grace is, is available to us all, there's some very difficult things Jesus taught when he said, I want you to compare your life to this story that I'm going to tell. And so we have to see this as an all or nothing teaching of Jesus. So what do we do with it? I'm just going to tell you, I don't have like all these action steps you can do, but I want to tell you, you've got to take action on this. And so, so this is what I want you to do. And it's not on the screen. These are just some things that I was thinking about. How do I take action to, to make the kingdom a priority in my life? It's, first of all, I've got to recognize the worth and the value of Christ and his kingdom. I've got to recognize, you know what? When I have that, I'm satisfied in life. The Bible compares it to a pearl, the greatest gem i got to realize that it's the greatest thing in my life. So i got to recognize that. And I've got to go searching for it. God, where do you want me to, to live out your kingdom? How do you want me to live out your kingdom? How, how do you want me to have hell crumble wherever I go? How do you want me to tell this world, you know what, it wasn't meant to be this way. There's a great Redeemer. I mean, we've got to ask ourselves questions like that. We have to ask ourselves, another action step is ask yourself, how do I get the excitement and the joy of my faith back? These guys were excited. They were full of joy. How do I get that back? Because I don't want to be ho-hum anymore about my faith or my walk with it. How do I get that joy? How do I get that excitement back? How do I enter into the kingdom? How do I get into what God has for me? I think about these things, and if you don't enter the kingdom of God, there will always be something missing from your life. There will always be something missing, guys. If you don't put Christ first, if you don't live for there will always be something missing. And, you know, I, I, the one thing about being a pastor, I just don't, I don't like funerals. I just have to be honest with you. I mean, even, even funerals where they're going to heaven and we're saying, yes, Lord, thank you, and, and those are good, but I'm always sad at funerals because I look at the family. And you know, especially a funeral this time of year because um, Thanksgiving is coming up and Christmas is coming up, and, and I know... And for that family, something's going to be missing. And not just for the next couple of holidays, but for the rest of their life. If something's going to be missing. They're always going to be, boy, you know, I wish so-and-so was here at that wedding or that graduation. Or, 
you know, just we, so that I, I don't like that part of it. What I do rejoice in is that someday we're going to see them again. And that's what heaven's all about. Heaven is perfection. And what perfection means in the Greek and in, in, in the New Testament, it means, it means completeness. I, I love the idea of heaven. We're not going to be sad up there anymore. It's going to be complete. That's going to be good. But here on this earth, I just want to tell you that you will never be complete if you don't enter the kingdom of God. If you don't say Christ and, you, and what you have, that, that's all I want. You'll never be satisfied. You're going to be searching and looking and grabbing and trying to find your place. But with Christ, you will have everything. How do I know that? Because Jesus teaches it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, Do not store up treasures for yourselves here on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So I want my heart to be with God. I, want, I, don't, want to, I don't want my heart in this world because I will never be satisfied. And how do I know that? Because you go to the last verse of Matthew chapter 6, and we all know it in verse 33. It says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. How do you get everything you need? How do you get satisfied? How do you get filled up? Seek him first. Seek his kingdom first. When we seek for ourselves, we'll, we'll, we'll find it. The more we get, the emptier we'll be. When we seek God in His kingdom and we live that righteous life, I want to tell you, He will give us everything we need. God has a call upon our life. He wants us to live it for Him and to give everything for Him. And He loves us so much. I'm so glad we sing that song today. Oh, how He loves us. You know what? He gave it all for us. He gave it all for us. We can give it all for Him. And so He says, I want you to, to give it all for me. And, and maybe you thought that, that coming to church and your relationship with God is just about a ticket into heaven. It's so much more. And when we start comparing our lives to the stories that Jesus told, we're going to realize we've got, a, we've got a job to do. We've got to proclaim His kingdom. Your life proclaims the kingdom of God. And, and we want to be disciples that are all in. I, I'm going to ask as we... Uh, kind of bring this to a close and begin a prayer time. I'm just going to ask us to turn our attention toward the screen. I, I, somebody sent me this video, and I, I just, it's just a little cartoon, but it's so powerful as it challenges us with the task that God has given us, the, the duty of being a, a Christian. And so just watch this, and then we'll pray together in just a moment.
Focus on what um, the Lord is speaking to you, that there's a call upon your life. When we follow Christ, it's, it's more than just a, a ticket out of hell to get into heaven and just living a comfortable life until he comes back. But there's a call to be a disciple. There's a call to proclaim his kingdom with your life. 
to hold up the cross of Christ because we know that when he is lifted high he'll draw all men unto himself God has a call in your life you may not be like Pastor Merrill who is overseas in India and preaching the gospel and teaching pastors and teaching in the classroom and we say sure that that's kingdom work but your family needs to live you to live as a kingdom disciple where you live where you go to school where you work wherever your feet take you we're to take the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God will not be a place here on this earth and it will not be a political party it will be the rule and reign of Christ through His people. And the church inside the kingdom is just the gathering together of the believers. It's the gathering together of the disciples. And, and so that's what we are as the church. But we have marching orders that when the service is over, we step out of these doors and we take the kingdom of God with us. And we... we we go from being all together in this room to being spread out throughout Chicagoland. And, and so I want you to realize that God has a call upon your life. But, but you have to, to say, I'm all in. And if you're not, start discovering this kingdom. Look for that joy and that excitement. Rediscover that. and Search for how His kingdom can be displayed here in this earth. And when you seek first His kingdom, He'll give you everything you need. He promises that in His Word. So as we live for Him, He's going to make us complete. I want to pray for you this morning. But if you have never entered into the kingdom of God, if you've never even surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do that today. Because we have sin in our life and our sin separates us from God. But Jesus died on a cross and took the penalty for our sins. And all we have to do is accept what He did on the cross for us. And when we do, He washes us white as snow. And no longer is it our righteousness, our good works, trying to make it to God. It's now Jesus took care of all that. And all you have to do is just accept Him into your heart. And just say, Jesus, forgive my sins. I want to follow You with my life. And the Bible says that He'll come in and He'll make you a brand new person. You'll be born again. A new creature in Christ Jesus. You're not going to be the same old person. And you won't belong to this world anymore. You'll belong to Him. And I encourage you as I pray this morning to just say a prayer. And you don't have to have the right words or... Or, or anything like that. You just, you just ask God and He will change you. And I want to pray for all of us today at this time that we would be disciples, wholly committed to Christ and His kingdom. Lord, we love You today and we honor You. We lift Your name high. God, we realize from Your Word as we've made that comparison from the story to our lives, we understand where we fit. 
And we may be fulfilling it, we may not, but Lord, today we are making a commitment to be followers of you, to be wholehearted disciples, proclaiming your kingdom, taking your kingdom into our homes, taking our kingdom into our workplaces and into our schools and into our relationships, God. God, I thank you for loving us so much and and inviting us in, but Lord, we we don't want to be ho-hum anymore. And we want to be fully devoted followers of you. And, and Lord, over the next several weeks as we look at these stories that are comparisons, may, may we just find those places where we need to, to put you first or to change an attitude or to change a, a habit or whatever. God, just help us to find and learn and grow over these next several weeks from your word. Challenge us, Lord, to be disciples that follow you no matter the cost. And God, I thank you that you're with us wherever we go, that we aren't going to be alone. And um, Lord, we're going to have everything we need. I thank you for that promise in your word. We love you today and we honor you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 It's good to be together in the Lord and, and to look at his word together. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the blessing of the Lord. And uh, I want you to fellowship with one another and greet one another at the end. But if you need special prayer this morning, Pastor Fred will be here to pray with you. And um, after the service, I'd like to meet with anybody interested in being a part of the prayer team. We haven't connected in quite some time, but we're going to connect in our prayer room, the Heritage Room, just over here, the room over here. And uh, we'll meet there about five minutes, five, ten minutes, because I know people want to fellowship and, and greet one another. But about five or ten minutes, and it'll be a short meeting. But I'd like to meet anybody that's interested in being part of our prayer team. And uh, again, uh, I just want you to know that uh, you're more than welcome to be a part of that. If God's stirring your heart or you're part of a prayer ministry or you already go to a prayer meeting and maybe you haven't been on the prayer team before, young, old, it doesn't matter. Just meet us in that room in about five or ten minutes and we'll, we'll talk together. But um, let's receive the blessing of the Lord this morning. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. God, I thank you for the blessing that rests upon your kingdom people. And God, I pray that we would walk in that blessing, God, that we would walk in that protection. We'd walk in that favor, God. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to live for you, to sell it all for you, God. To, to be your kingdom people in this world. And as we are, keep us safe and keep us strong until we can gather together as a church and worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you go this morning, make sure you fellowship with one another. If you need special prayer, Pastor Fred's down front. And uh, sign up for everything in the lobby. And I'll meet all the prayer warriors or people who want to be part of a prayer team in the lobby, or excuse me, in the prayer room in about five to ten minutes. God bless you.